All right, so this is our uh, third week, I believe, or third session talking about the tabernacle. And so we're in Exodus um, 25 and 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 um, the the following chapters where where Moses is uh, receiving the pattern for the tabernacle, and we're not really going through it. Um, or even attempting to go through it verse by verse, or even furniture by furniture, really, just kind of painting with broad strokes and and um, looking at a real uh, kind of an overview. And and <clears throat> we talked about, let's see, we talked about just the general. We sp- I think we spent maybe maybe this might be our fourth time. I can't remember, but because we spent a little bit of time just introducing the tabernacle one one time and kind of just how it. Um, how it paints a, a picture for us, God. That's what that's what the whole Old Testament is. It's a collection of uh, God-given uh, natural pictures um, and shadows and promises and prophecies and types of spiritual and eternal realities that are now in Christ. And and so we we looked at um, just the the reality of God desiring a dwelling place. And a, a place to live inside of this new creation of his, um, which is, well, we hopefully we'll get to that a little bit today with the ark, but I mean, as another picture of that, but that's really what the tabernacle is. It's a place, it's a way, it's a relationship, it's a, uh, a reality of union in, in which God and man come together and, and live, um, live as one. Never us becoming God, but us uh, being grafted into and participating in, experiencing all that He is, and and uh, so then we talked about just kind of looking at the three. Uh, there's two chambers of the of the uh, actual sanctuary itself, which we'll talk about tonight a little bit, but there's three. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I kind of was dividing it into the, and this is just my own thing. So it's not like I, I, I don't. Um, this is just kind of how I see it. I see, I see the way, the truth, and the life. I guess when I look at the, when I look at the tabernacle, and those are again, those two are very general uh, statements. But I see the way in the in the door that leads to the brazen altar, or the brazen altar itself, and the way of death, and the way that. God provides a death for us that we couldn't die and brings us into the death of Christ, brings us into this complete consuming fire where all flesh is consumed. And uh, we talked about that as being the the huge, um, the step that in the church we usually try to jump right over that. And, and, I, and I don't mean we try to just avoid it uh, we don't like death. I mean, we don't even we don't even have much of a, a understanding generally of the fact that that death comes first. We think that death is at the end. We think that the the order is first I live for God, then I die, and and God's order is first you die, and then you can live. And <clears throat> so death is the way. Death is first. Death was first. Death was the way out of Egypt, and. Uh, and death is the way into the tabernacle here, and we looked at that. And then we then we talked to you know when I talked about the laver, and 
we looked at it, you know, called it a few different things. We called it the mirror of God, or the mirror into which you, um, into which you look to see the the truth, and 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 really we focused on how um, how seeing the truth. Um, the renewing of the the mind, the washing of the water of the word, the, the the revealing of Christ is where the soul begins to face the fact of that death, of that um, that that incredible judgment that is there in that brazen altar, and how you'll never experience you'll you, you'll never experience the the. Well, you won't really experience anything unless the truth makes you free from all of the lies and all of the false realities that are um, uh, that that basically comprise your view of all things. I mean, you're you're born into the wrong man. You're born part of uh, uh, the natural creation. Your mind thinks according to the, the ways of the old covenant. That's as far as you can understand is basically religion or, or shadows. God brings you into the death of your son, of his son, puts you to death to, to those things, raises you up and seats you in Christ, and, and then the labor is the, the way the divine, um, the divinely ordered way by which Truth washes away one man and leaves another, or or the mirror is you behold in the mirror the glory of the Lord and are transformed into the same image. Or you know we looked at all that. I'm not going to go back into all that today because I want to get into the um, I want to get, get into the sanctuary, but just to kind of bring it, bring us all back up to speed. So uh, if you, if you missed those, it'd be probably beneficial if you happen to be listening to this and and you haven't heard those, and it might be beneficial to go back at least to kind of follow my language a little bit not that um not not that it's i said a whole lot in those teachings i don't think i did but um you know i think that the 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 thing that uh is super important to understand especially just in again with real basic terms is that you are given before you can experience a life that you cannot live. I mean, a life that is Christ living in you, a life that isn't your life made better. It's Christ given unto you and made unto you all things. Before you can experience a life that you could never live, you must experience and know a death that you could never die. And that's what grace is. That's how I usually describe grace. Grace is God giving you a death you couldn't die and a life you couldn't live. And the death is so important. You'll never experience the the reality of life, or 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 anything that's part of that life, the nature of that life, the love that is bound up with that life, the truth, or anything, unless that labor washes, unless it totally renews, makes new, the the spiritual understanding that's working in your soul, and so. That's kind of a, a little bit of a recap there. So the sanctuary. So now, so now you get into, and let me put, uh, I'm going to put this thing back up again now. I'm going to take down the, there it is. Okay. So if you look at the diagram here, um, 
there's the the altar of burnt offerings, the laver, and then you get into the sanctuary. The sanctuary is actually the thing that's that comprises the tabernacle. The white boundary around the whole thing is was kind of this this outer court, um, but the, but the sanctuary itself is com- is comprised of two chambers and really three pieces of furniture in the first chamber, then a veil. There's two veils really uh, here. Uh, three, I guess, if you count the the screen, or uh, I think it's called uh, the gate or the screen, and depending on translations of the, that comes into the outer, that comes into the uh, 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 the, the the courtyard area. But but then there's two two veils. There's a veil going into the holy place, and I don't know if I even lay. Oh yeah, there it is at the top. Outer courtyard, holy place, holy of holies. And uh, and then so there's three pieces of furniture in the uh, in the first area, there's the table of showbread. There's the they call it, this one calls it the menorah. I usually call it the candlestick. And then there's the altar of incense before the veil. The veil is that purple line there, and then behind the the veil, as you I'm sure all know, is the is the ark, the ark of the covenant, or the ark of the uh, well. There's it has different names, but ark of the covenant. And so. <sighs> And I and I call let's see where is it okay so in purple uh, I, I wrote the way the truth and the life across the top and I have the life the life over um, over the whole sanctuary there and I and I and I call it the life because I feel like everything in here it represents the, an experience of Christ or the knowing of Christ as life. There's different aspects of it, and there's even within the sanctuary, bound up with the sanctuary, there is the first and the second. There's a there's two covenants involved in it, or two kinds of relationships, and the one gives way to the other. And yet, both of them are, or the whole thing itself is the is the, the substance of it is the soul of man experiencing, knowing, living by, partaking of. Uh, eating, giving off the fragrance of, shining forth the light of, and experiencing the light of—it's it, all of that—the life of God. So, so the soul and the soul of man was created exactly for that purpose. It was uniquely created. It's unlike any other created thing. In that, it was created to be an actual sanctuary for the the life of. God. Now, there's there's lots of facets of that life, but uh, or, or there's I don't know facets is you know all these words are kind of weak in lots in a lot of different ways. But there's lots of different ways God I think could describe um, what it is, what it f- feels like, what it, it what the what the um, what it is for a human soul to encounter and dwell in the midst of or have the have God himself dwell in the midst of the soul and 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 that's really what i think we're seeing here okay we're seeing god's god's attempt well attempt isn't a great word but but it but it only goes as far as shadows because uh it doesn't actually it it paints a picture of it but it doesn't actually get the job done until until you actually come into the fullness of that reality in your own soul. So, 
in God's own words, you know, he says that all of the shadows fell short, you know, the, the, by the blood of animals, you know, no one's sin was ever really removed, you know, or it, it, all through the book of Hebrews, he talks about the ways that, that these things were, were, were accurate pictures, but fell short of the substance. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is that I, I the main thing that I, I see in this sanctuary is the life of God in the soul of man. What man finds God to be as life and then how God works as life in the soul. And and we'll look at some of that in detail with these with these with these uh, different aspects of, or different pieces of furniture. But that's really what it is. And and I I talk about this sometimes uh well, I guess I talk about it a lot, but if you don't know Christ as life, see Christ. Christ is, in, in my in my opinion, the most important, the most the most foundational thing or realities to know Christ as are life and light, and and the reason that is 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 because those two things define everything else that he is he's he's a lot of things but he's only though i mean he's a bridegroom and a, and a king and he's a he's a he's a judge and he's a savior and he's a you know a lot of things he's a captain of the host he's the lamb on the throne he, you know whatever he's all these different things but this but you experience him as in in any one of these roles you don't experience him in some kind of an external uh, a spectator type relationship at all you experience him as an internal living reigning king in the soul and you understand him as the light of his life shines and brings you into his own truth his own view so he's 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 life and he's light and they're both they're both Christ but the light is the knowing of the life and if if he's the life in you and the light is shining in you to show you that life then you'll you'll begin to know his other names and experience his other names in truth and but but if if he's not being if you're not coming to know him and this is by the way you don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about uh, if this happens or not, he always he always shows himself this way. If, you, if you're if if Christ is being revealed in you, then you're experiencing life and light. You know you don't have to worry about getting ahead or taking a wrong turn. If your heart truly just wants to know Christ, he will appear and he will appear in you as life and as light. And those th- that will begin to define uh, everything else that he is. I'm not trying to be confusing here it's just that every you know people talk about and i i I used to talk about him as you know uh as a king and 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 all these ideas i had about his kingdom and his kingly nature and reigning and defeating bad guys and enemies and all these things they were all imaginations why because i because i didn't know 
I didn't know where he reigned. I didn't know that reign. I hadn't experienced the increase of the government that has no end. I hadn't experienced in my own soul the reign of the scepter of righteousness that spreads judgment throughout a kingdom in in myself. I hadn't seen those things. I hadn't known them as life or or seen them in his light. And 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 so without that, all there is is human imagination. Those imaginations could be attached to a hundred very uh, accurately translated Bible verses, and yet without experiencing Him as life and knowing Him in light, then what you what you have is those you, you have you have made an attachment. You have you have bridged together a Bible verse with a concept in your head, and 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 knowing Him always destroys those things. It always casts down those imaginations and and puts those things under His feet. But okay, so before we get into the the different uh, furniture here, I want to try to describe why I think there are two sections. The The division here between the... The, the book of Hebrews calls the first area, just it calls it the first. I'll read, it, I'll read that in a minute here, but in fact, a number of places in the 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 book of hebrews where it says the first covenant you read about the first covenant or the first um area or the first uh i forget what, what first part of the sanctuary or the second part the, those those words aren't even in there the the i mean it just says first the first and the second the first and the second and the the translator and maybe it is helpful i don't know sometimes adds those words covenant and or or part but it's interesting to me that the that the writer of Hebrews was just talking about the first and the second because that's exactly how uh what I think God is trying to show us here. There is the the division doesn't represent two separate houses or two separate purposes or 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 two lives um but rather the reality that there there is uh the there is within the one purpose of God there are or there have been two covenants or two relationships with man or two yeah i guess you could say two systems one being the 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 first the shadow the promise the picture the other being the act, the greater reality and with the coming down of the veil then the the one which was great gives way to the one, to the other which is greater. So the the first chamber is called the holy place. It's definitely holy. I mean, you couldn't just walk in there uh without, you know, not even a king, to, you, you know, Uzziah tried that and got leprosy. You know, no one could just go in there besides the one who the, the priest who represented Christ. But, um, <clears throat> but there was even something holier than the holy place, and that was the the holiest of all. So that, that's what that's the two names of the the holy place and the holy of holies, or the holiest of all, depends on how your how your translation uh, words it. So one section to me, the first section seems to represent a a a, a, a something that's very very good and very holy, and yet something that is less substantial, maybe less eternal, something that doesn't have to be tended to and replaced by the priest that you know bread the bread in the first chamber needed to be replaced daily, so did the oil for the lamp, so did the incense for the for the altar um 
it, you know, in a sense, I, I see that kind of representing the the God, the first uh, covenant with the first man. You know, God's it, it was very very good, and yet it, you know, including the law, including all the things that were part of that first, which which were all good and holy and and, and just and right, and all those things that Paul says in Romans seven, and yet they weren't the substance. They were they were very good arrows, very good. Uh, Fingers pointing to something, but always pointing to the fulfillment of them. The other chamber there th- seems to me to represent in Scripture the the uh, the actual the real deal, the actual thing that God was aiming at from the beginning, the greater glory, the true union, the true the true substantial union between the Spirit of God and the soul of man, the the removal of all the barriers. Of and the enmity of the flesh. It represents the inward covenant. It represents the new creation. Not the old creation, the new creation. Not the outward covenant, the first covenant, the inward covenant. Without enmity, the, the flesh having been put away. In fact, in, in Hebrews, we'll look at this later, uh, the author of Hebrews calls the veil the flesh of Christ. Um, there's a number of verses that seem to me that, that kind of demonstrate what I just tried to say. Demonstrate the fact that the one gives way to the other, that there's a greater thing behind the veil, that the greater came in the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. It's not something that's still coming. It's something that has come, and that's very, very plain in the language of the New Testament. It's something that we may not be experiencing, but the reason we're not experiencing is not because God has put a veil over Christ, but that we have put a veil over our hearts, which is what Paul explains in Second Corinthians chapter 3, that we are like the sons of... Of of Israel that demanded Moses put a veil over his head, you know that was glowing. That they didn't want to look at the glory, but that was their decision. That was their that was their uh, resistance to the light. That was their love of the darkness. Um, their fear of their un, Paul says their inability to look at even that which was past the glory that was passing away, and yet. God is not veiling Christ in this covenant. If you if you can't see Christ, it, and, and and to some extent, I'm sure you can't. Uh, it, but that's because there is still that thick, fleshy veil over our hearts that, in in one way or another, we're generally protecting. And the Lord is working with us by His Spirit to to let us uh, or have us let Him take take that away. When the heart turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. But in the in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, as we'll read in a second, that veil was rent from top to bottom. He took away the the first, gave way to the second. The greater reality came and is, has been, and is established. In uh, in Hebrews nine, there's the biggest section here that kind of talks about that, and and I'm, I'll read uh, a few verses. It says. Starting in verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared. The first part, it says here, but the first, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. There's there's various translations of, of, of all these words here. So if, you're, if your Bible reads a little different, it, the point's the same, I think. Behind the second veil, notice it calls it the second veil here, um, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides of gold. The golden censer was the thing. It was the, I, I don't know if, if they kept it in there or not, but it's the thing that the high priest brought in 
flaming with, um, you know, burning with, with, with incense, uh, in, in the, in the Day of Atonement. So they would, they would bring it back. It's the only thing that went behind the veil. I don't, I don't know that they kept it behind the veil. Some people, um, struggle with that verse because they say, I thought only the ark was back there. Well, I think he's referring at least to the things that went back there, the, the ceremony that was, uh, that was ever, um, that was done back there, but in which there was a, a golden censer and there was a thing that they brought back there, the sprinkled blood and all of that. But, um, the ark overlaid on all sides with gold in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, you remember that story, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these, this has always been a sad verse for me here, where he says, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. And I, <laughs> I wish I always, when I read that, I'm always like, I really wish you did. But verse 6, now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first of the tabernacle, the first section, the first part, performing the services. But into the second, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. Eight, and verse eight, the Holy Spirit indicating this. Okay, so here he's giving us a little bit of an interpret- interpretation of what the Spirit of God is actually saying with this. Saying, because the, the high priest or the, the priest went in all the time into the first part, per- performing the various ceremonies and services, but the high priest went in only once a year, so the Holy Spirit was indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. You, you follow what he's saying there? The way, as long as the natural tabernacle... Or would, you know, the temple that replaced it. But as long as that system, as long as that way of relating to God was standing, was, was still valid, the Spirit of God is trying to show you with these two separate houses is that there is, um, that, that there, that the way into the second one was not yet established. It was waiting for something. Okay? So, Let's read that again. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time uh, in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience or in regard to the inner man. You could say, I think you could kind of replace that. It, it, which concerned only foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. This is really wordy. I know it's 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 got it's like a there's a lot uh, you know you kind of have to read through it slow and pay really attention to what he's saying here. But if I can just try to summarize it, he's saying the whole thing was symbolic for the, for the fact that the going into the holiest of all, while that thing was still standing, while the whole thing was still standing, God was demonstrating a division. The, the fact that the second was kind of off limits. Okay, so that's that's there. There's two, there's two chambers in this thing, and <clears throat> the reason that there's two is that the 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 creation or the the establishment of of this tabernacle or temple, both of which had the same design, basic basic design, um, is illustrating that there was still something off limits. 
there was still something they couldn't enter into. The way into the second was not yet made manifest, and they were entering into the first, performing various services that couldn't actually do anything with regard to the inner man, but were concerned with foods and drinks and washings, things that had to do with the outer man, until the time of Reformation. And what's the time of Reformation? Well, that's the time when all of these... um, all of the things of the shadow turned into substance. Okay, The time of Reformation is the time in which all of these pictures became spiritual reality. And that's what it says here in verse, verse 11, but Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come. And with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So this is a chunk of, of Hebrews chapter 9 that uh, that is, I, I feel like it's it's saying to us that God designed this thing in a very specific way. You're going to see a lot of pictures of, of God's relationship with Israel in it. You're going to see life, light, and glory. You're going to see union. You're going to see a new creation. You're going to see... But part of the design of this sanctuary, the fact that it's divided into two chambers, illustrates something really really important that we need to understand, and that is built into the design of the tabernacle was an illustration of a barrier that they were not yet able to go behind, except for the once a year when, when they did it in the Day of Atonement. Uh, I hope that makes sense. That's maybe the clearest way I can say it. So that's one of the several reasons why I feel like that 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 in this one house, it's not two purposes, it's not two different things. It's, it's the same thing. It's the one relationship, but... In the first, outward, passing, temporal uh, pictures, and then in this, and then behind the veil, the spiritual, eternal, internal substance of everything else. Let's see here. There's a few other verses I have written down here. One of them is Hebrews chapter 10, where it says in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest uh, holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a uh, a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water I talked about those verses and we, we have a Hebrews study online that we it took us about four years to go through that, but uh, we we talked about some of those verses in detail, and you can check check those out if you're interested. But um, let me read one more verse here, Matthew twenty seven fifty. I mentioned this, I referenced this earlier. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and it says, "And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit." Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. So, again, I I know I'm repeating myself, but the first chamber is, it's it's kind of like the first Israel. It's kind of like the outward covenant. It's it's the the first covenant. Not bad, but but limited. 
not bad, but still dealing with the with the man of the flesh. It's a natural covenant relating to a natural man, and until the until that man is put into the body of Christ and put away then the way into the actual spiritual substance is not yet had not yet been known see that's the sense in which Christ's flesh is the veil it doesn't mean it's not like a code where you say okay veil equals body of Christ or veil equals the skin of Jesus you know that's not it's the the thing that kept us out of that place or kept him out of us however you want to look at it was the fact that there was a contrariness, a total opposite contrary nature involved. The two could not be joined because the flesh, the man who was kicked out of the garden in the beginning, could never be joined to, or, or, or could never be the dwelling place of God. And so the flesh of Christ as the, the, was rent. Jesus' death in Jesus' death, that man, when one man died, all died, you know, all died in that one, or when one died, all died in him. How does it go? Second Corinthians 5. Or, or when I am lifted up, I will gather all men to myself. He, he, that veil is not just his flesh, it is flesh, period. It is Jesus being made sin. It is Jesus taking on the curse. It is the serpent being raised up on the staff. It is, it is the, the, the lar- the Moses' staff turning into a serpent, swallowing up all the other serpents, and then being crucified. You know that story in, in, in Exodus where Moses' the, the, the evil magicians, they, they make their staffs turn into serpents too. I don't know how they pulled that off, but, um, and then Moses is in, in an awesome picture of Jesus becoming, swallowing up, becoming our curse. His snake <clears throat> eats the other snakes, and and uh, or in later, little later on, when Moses makes the bronze serpent, they look upon that one serpent, and all of them who have been bitten by serpents, uh, that snake bite is is put away on that one serpent on the staff. I mean, there's there's all these awesome pictures of the cross scattered throughout, involving uh, Jesus becoming that cursed thing and the father being pleased to crush him as it says in Isaiah 53 really strong language some some translations actually soften the language of Isaiah 53 and saying it was the father's good pleasure to bruise him or I forget how they do it I, I've noticed it before but the really it's it really says that the father desired to crush him I mean he became in himself he became him who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him that's that's what he did he became that serpent on that he drew all men into himself and the so the crushing of the body of Jesus the sacrifice of his body was the death of the entire adamic man that then put away from the soul the thing that divided that sanctuary okay that divide that made it a that made it two instead of one. All right. So, all right. So let's let's look now at the first um, the first part of the sanctuary. It, 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 there's these three pieces of uh, furniture, and 
And I sometimes call them, and, and again, these are just my names. They don't have any significance, uh, except that they're just words that I attach to things. So the, the, I call them the life, the light, and the glory. <clears throat> and I, and I see that with the, with the bread, the show bread, and the, and the, the candlestick, and then the, the glory, or the, you could call it worship. You could call it, yeah, worship, you could call it. And prayer, I, you could stick in there too, but not, not prayer in the sense that we understand it, usually. So, each of these things in the first chamber are, they're aspects of Christ, or they're realities of the soul's experience of Christ. They're how we experience Christ, but they're also how Christ works in us. Okay, remember, the tabernacle is, is or the temple of God, you can say it two ways. You can say it's us dwelling in him, or you can say it's him dwelling in us. And and the New Testament does it both ways. And, and in fact, over and over again, it talks about you know Christ in us, and then over and over again it talks about us in Christ. And and um, the confused mind might say, which one is it? It's absolutely both, and they're both real and they're both essential. So the te- the temple or the tabernacle is the coming together of the two in such a way that they dwell as one, and there are realities and aspects of us finding. It's just like the land, you know, the the, the land of Israel. Israel comes into to that land and finds that land to be Christ. It's the land of rest. It's the land of, uh, of victory. It's the, it's the land where they, they go in and the reproach of, of Egypt is rolled away. It's the land where they, they don't have to dig the wells and build the cities and plant the vineyards. It's all been done for, you know, there's, there's certainly a picture of the land being Christ, but then, uh, in, in, a, in a whole bunch of other pictures, the land is us and Christ is the king going through the land and killing all these, Hostile enemies and uncircumcised flesh, and it's in. In someone says, which which one is it? It's both. It's absolutely. It's two sides of the same coin. It's two essential aspects of the same relationship, and and so that's why I say it's it. You find Christ. Let's start with the uh, let's start with the candlestick. You find Christ to be light, and he's the only real light that exists. In fact, without him, there is total darkness. And and yet, Christ as the substance of light works in the midst of his body, the church, and, and makes them the light of the world. And so he'll hear, hear him saying both things. He'll say, I'm the light of the world. You know, without following me, you'll walk in darkness. Or you know several things along those lines, but then he also will, will say to, to his disciples that you're the light of the world. You know which one is it? It's he. Well, you know if I had to pick one, <laughs> I'd pick Christ. But <clears throat> it's Christ in the church, and that's exactly what we see having to do with the candlesticks in Revelation chapter one. John hears a voice. He turns, and and he sees. Uh, the, the, these seven golden candlesticks, and 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 what are they? The you know the angel says these. This is the church, but he keeps looking, and he sees, he sees one in the midst. There's there's one right in the midst of the candlesticks, and it's it's one like a son of man, and he's the one with fire in his eyes. He's the one that has fire in his. He's the he's the fire into which Shadmac Shadrach Shadmac 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown, and he was the fourth man. I mean, he's the fire himself. He's the consuming fire. He's the one in whom you can live if you have been made of his own nature and given his own nature, and you can walk around in that fire and not be consumed. You can be the bush that burns without being consumed. That That's what, that's, that's you. But he's the actual fire of it. So again, your heart wants to say, or the natural mind wants to say, well, wait, wait, pick one. Which one is it? Is he the light or am I the light? Well, well he's the substance of it, but you're the lampstand. And, and, and if you don't keep your heart turned to the center of that lampstand where there's one like a son of man, then he will take, what does he threaten the churches? If they, if, uh, in in chapter is it chapter two or three I can't remember. I will take away your your lampstand. You know if you if there's a number of things going wrong in different churches. But but the point is that that losing sight of him is losing the light of that lampstand. And so um, that's just so so again you find you come into life and what's one of the things that you experience. Yeah, what what's one of the ways you experience Christ as the life of your soul? You experience him as light. What does that do to you? It makes you into a lampstand for his light. It makes you the light of the world, the light that you don't put under a bushel, a light a city on a hill, you know, where where you actually can share the light that he is with others. And, you know, there's lots of, I'm already running out of time, but there's lots of um, really, if we had time, I'd love to go read the entire chapter of Zechariah, chapter 4, because that's about the church. It's about the building of the church. In fact, um, the whole point of that chapter is that the Spirit of God is the one who builds the church. It's not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And he lays the foundation stone, and then he lays the capstone later with shouts of grace, grace. Remember that in that chapter? But but when, when to, to, to illustrate to, to Zechariah what this, what this temple is, what this church is, he gives them this picture, and what's what's the picture? It's a can, it's a it's a candlestick again. It's a it's the same seven piece um, candlestick, and there's two trees dripping oil into these reservoirs that feed the light on the candlestick, and and that's the. That's the picture that God gives Zechariah of what the church is. God's, God says, I'm building something. I'm building my church. And, and really, what is it? I mean, naturally, all it was was a, a natural building. It was, a, and it was much less impressive naturally than, um, than the one that Solomon built, because this is after, after the Babylonian captivity, right? Uh, but spiritually speaking, God gives the, the, the prophetic, uh, Christ view of what's going on with the building of the latter house, the building of the second house, and he says, you know, you want to know how I see this thing? Here's what it, here's what it really is. It's a lampstand that is receiving constant dripping from living olive trees so that it can burn continually in my presence. Friends, that is what we Find Christ to be and are made, and what Christ is made unto us. Okay? You find Christ to be and what he's made unto us. And it's the same thing with the bread and the same thing with the incense altar. Christ says, I am the bread, right? And yet, 
Have you ever noticed that when he multiplies the bread, he always turns to his disciples and say, says, you give them something to eat. And he's teaching them that though he is the bread and he's the one that's multiplying the bread and he's the one that's doing the miracle there, they're the ones that are supposed to be handing out the bread. They're the ones feeding the sheep. And he does, he deals the same thing with Peter afterwards. And he, and, uh, he multiplies the fish, you know, again, and Peter flips out and says it's Jesus and jumps off the boat and, and, uh, and then Jesus, says, if you love me, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, you know. What's the food? It's the bread that they have found Christ to be. It's the it's the food that they have found in him. It's the food that they eat of him and that multiplies in in them and then is fed to the others. It's that it's exactly the spiritual outworking of all of the multiplication uh, miracles that you see both in the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament. There's that Jesus wasn't the first one that did that. Uh, the, the prophets had done that in a different ways with oil and bread or with that whatever. And it's all the same picture. It's the it's the soul be finding again finding Christ as food and then and then becoming that which serves food serves the one we breaks the one loaf that we are a loaf by the way without leaven um actually there were six two stacks of six 12 unleavened cakes on top of each other um in in the table of showbread and you know i have some thoughts about why that but i don't know if i'll get into that much detail i definitely won't tonight um but uh but the, the the main the main thing is again the 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 big picture is that Christ you 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 come Christ begins to be revealed as as your life and you say my goodness he is true food he is food indeed he I eat his flesh and drink his blood and yet then the soul actually begins to have for the hungry something to offer something of true food to you can't actually literally make a soul eat but you can present to to someone the food that you're eating you can point to the place where you're dining so to speak and um and and with the incense altar and i'll stop with this but uh you find in christ the glory of god the very the very seeing and knowing and shining forth and manifesting and revealing of god in christ and and there's a very particular fragrance that that is given off that that only Christ has, and he, it's a very specific fragrance. Remember the fragrance of the the uh, um, of this incense altar was not allowed to even be, it was not allowed to be made by anybody. It was like a secret recipe, um, and and then it was also it, it says no man is allowed to make this mixture. And it is not allowed to be put on any flesh, or that man will be cut off from Israel forever. You know, so you can't. It's not. It's a very specific fragrance, not to be put on flesh, not to be made by flesh. It is the worship. It is the fragrance of Christ that rises up to the uh, to the to the nostrils of God. Christ is the substance of it, and then, and yet again, in the same way. Uh, 
we become, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 14, we become the fragrance of Christ under God, or Ephesians 5, 2, we are made by God, uh, uh, an offering and a sacrifice, a sweet-smelling aroma, aroma, or 1 Peter 2, 5, we offer unto God these spiritual sacrifices which are pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ. These are things that Christ, all three of these, the, 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 the life, the light, and the glory, the, the, the light, the bread, and the, and the incense, all of them are things that Christ is in substance and things that, um, things that work in the soul of the believer that is knowing him as, as life. It's all Christ in substance and yet Christ is the life of the human soul that uh, receives him and knows him as such. So I guess that's as far as I'm going to get tonight. I didn't get to the ark or 